Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends, and welcome back to the last episode of 2023. But I am leaving you with what I think is a perfect episode to get you ready for all the festivities. Now I hope amongst the lights and the joyous occasions you are indulging in some special wines to accompany those leisurely long lunches with friends and family. And so with the Tokai wine region in Hungary being one of the oldest and most historic wine regions in the world, and with the winery Royal Tokai, known for its production of Tokai Azu, which is the legendary sweet wine made from grapes affected by noble rot. These sweet wines are just perfect for that extra sweet tooth that, you know, most of us, we kind of adopt (laughs) during this season. So this is part two with Royal Tokai's winery director, Zoltan Kovac. He will be taking us through the differences of what a late harvest wine is compared to the five and six Petonius wines. And even the Essencia, an ultra rare and extremely sweet wine. Essencia is so concentrated that it can take years to ferment and it is often considered one of the world's most luxurious and unique wines. So I don't know, maybe that's going to be a really special Christmas present for someone you love. Uh, Well, actually yourself. (laughs) Now talking of gifts. And as we cozy up to this holiday season, I've got a special Christmas wish for those of you enjoying these podcasts and with access to Apple Podcasts, could you take a moment to share your thoughts by leaving a quick review and rating? And as my festive gift to you, screenshot your review. Sometimes they do take a few days to pop up. Shoot it my way via email. So Yanina at eatsleepwinerepeat.co.uk or direct message me on Instagram at eatsleep underscore wine repeat. And you can win an hour of personalized one-on-one wine tasting or training. You could bring your family in. It could be just you. We will talk about that because what better way to toast the holidays than with a little extra cheer and with Of course, the podcast algorithm sharing this podcast to more listeners. (laughs) So cheers to the season of giving and sipping. And I hope you savour the delectable delights of this episode. We are now going to go on to the sweet wines. It is sticky time. Everyone's like, all right, okay, great. We were very interested in the sill wines, but we signed up for Sweet Tokai. So, okay, I want you to possibly explain to people the importance of these dessert wines. So, so Tokai has often been referred to as the wine of kings. So why is this? The fame of the wine region was given by the sweet wine produced in the wine region and because of their complexity, their balance, their acidity. They started to be highly appreciated around Europe towards the 16th, 17th century. 
when very often Hungarian rulers, kings, were using the Tokai as a political, yeah. let's say. <laughs> a bargaining tool. Yeah, yes. it had somehow in all the stories, and I, I can't quote any because I can't remember exact names. It's like people, it was like money or I don't know, like quite clearly this is liquid gold. And, yes. you know, if you gave enough of it to somebody, people would, do, you know, everyone can be bought, can't they? And then uh, even though uh, because of his natural sweetness was highly appreciated because those times, a natural, beside honey, actually, no other source of natural sweetness could be afforded because those times in Europe, we didn't have cane sugar or beet sugar because didn't exist at time. So that's why sweet wines were so expensive, highly appreciated. And because of their price, it was only afforded by very rich people and, and by the royalty. So this is the reason why it was mentioned by Louis XIV, Louis XIV, as the wine of kings. And why is the king of the wise is the same reason, actually, because it was a very high quality, uh, highly appreciated by everybody. So this is how he was joking with the, with the words. He wasn't joking. This is exactly what it is. The wine of kings, yeah. the king of wine. I love it. I think it's amazing. Okay, so I have talked about... Botrytis, which is a noble rot, which is actually a good kind of fungus. I have talked about this before on previous podcasts. However, I would love for you, in your personal words, just to explain what it is again for people to listen to because it's it is fascinating. Beautiful nature doing really weird and wonderful things. Yeah. So uh, what we call noble rot. It is called in the other region worldwide gray rot. And it's um, caused by the same rot, which is called Botryatis cinerea, which arrives on the berries during autumn time. If uh, you have uh, humid weather, it will destroy the crop. Very shortly, this is how it acts. People all over the world, they have to take care to fight against botrytis with different tools. In the wine region where we are in Tokai, we have natural tools to fight against the botrytis. I will tell you what. And then we are going to have weather tools which will fight against botrytis, not to cause his bad his damages actually to the to the grape variety. So which are the, the, the tools? We have two late ripening grape varieties, the Furmit and the Harshla value, which have a quite thick berry skin, which could resist for a long time against the damages of the botrytis. So the botrytis will stay on the berry will eat step by step, let's call it like that, the skin of the berry, but could not damage it. And then the other thing which is helping the grapes is the drying of the berries, which is given by the climate of the vine region and the 
very long summer-like weather during autumn time, which will dry the berry. So to reach a perfect Osuberry quality, you will lose about 80% of the total weight of the berry, actually. So you lose 80% of the water and this shriveling. So this is how uh, nature and the grape variety is fighting against botrytis. And finally, you will get noble rot from the damaging action of the, of the botrytis. So you really need to, uh, special conditions and grape varieties which will help you to get this golden berry. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, what do you say? Yeah, exactly. So everybody, grey rot, bad. Noble rot, good. It good. comes from the same fungus, but it's all based on once the grape gets it, are you going to get the breeze? Are you going to get the sunshine? And where you are, it's just perfect, isn't it? From yes. those plains, bringing up the sun, the right winds, the rivers yes. that you mentioned in the first episode all working together to create that that perfect balance. And so, yeah, I didn't realize it was 80%. Gosh. Now, that is also why dessert wine made from botrytized grapes or dessert wine with noble rot is not the cheapest sweet wines in the world because you're losing, you're losing your profits as they dehydrate, <laughs> as they <laughs> shrivel and become more like raisins but they taste better, do they not? Yes, that's true. And then on top of that, then you have to collect them manually because it couldn't be done by machines. So um, a harvester could collect around five kilograms per day of these berries. So you can imagine... Five kilos? That's yes, five. <laughs> all you're bringing in. Oh my God, okay, that's tiny. Five kilos is tiny. I can't even comprehend. So so you're basically, because you are going through the vineyard time and time again. You mentioned in the episode before that this harvest basically lasts about two months here. And that's obviously the beginning part. You're starting with the grapes that you're going to turn into still wine, dry still wine. But throughout it, you're going through, and then when you find that perfect shriveled grape, you just pick that and just and leave everything else, and you keep going through, just picking about what five kilos a day. Yes, that's correct. And uh, and and then you bring in the berries and you store it in our storage facility for one and a half, two months till we finish all our vinification with the other wines. And only that that time, we will start to work with these, uh, with these berries in the winery. So it's a very, very labor-intensive work, actually. Totally. So everybody get excited when you realize, actually, the pricing is nothing compared to how hard these guys are working. But just to throw in a curveball, because, you know, we want to keep everyone on their toes. It's confusing enough, these azuberries. This is the name for these shrivel berries in Tokai, the azuberries. But you have now late harvest wines. Correct. Now around the world, late harvest, it's a standard term. The grapes have been left on the vines for longer. They were harvested later. Perfect. But how does somebody know if there's some botrytized grapes in there or not? They don't? Yes. So um, our late harvest, what we, what we produce, which is around 100 grams of residual sugar, this is our style of it, to say it, at this uh, richness level, you can't get grape varieties without botrytis. 
So what we use to produce this wine is um, halfway in between dry and also shriveled berries. So it's halfway. We have botrytis already on the berries, but they are not completely shriveled. And we are harvesting those bunches or those clusters which are characterized mainly by these berries. And on our webpage, you will find a very nice picture of what we use. It's quite ugly when you, when you look <laughs> up to that, to that, yeah, to that quality, but that's what we use. It's, it's, it's already rich in flavors, high sugar content. It's not desiccated completely. This is what we use actually. And we make a winemaking process as we do for the dry wines as direct pressing and then fermenting it. Now, just everyone now knows this is a halfway house between still and a wine using the berries. Exactly. Just for people to understand if they do just see late harvest on a label of another Tokai, is that all going to be with some Botrytis grapes, 100%, no matter what? Yeah, so actually it's quite a wine range in the in the late harvest. You can make late harvest in Tokai avoiding Botrytis grapes. But there you are going to have a, low, a lower concentration in sugar. But from our point of view, late harvest, it's a wine which is a step before the Osu wine. So it's a wine to introduce people to have a, a lighter style, an easygoing wine, an understandable style to make people understand a bit the sweet wines of Tokai and to let them introduce to the next level, which will be then the Osu wines. Amazing. And obviously the Osu wines, they are the special ones. But actually, am I right in thinking there was like a Botrytis drought, quote, drought, where there was several years where people couldn't get botrytis. Did I read that? Am I making this up? Well. (laughs) Have I asked a question that I shouldn't have asked? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not that type of question, but there are vintages where we have less botrytis. You can't avoid botrytis in Tokai. You will always have botrytis. And there are two sources of botrytis. One is from interior, which is uh, going into the berry and will leave there inside the berry and will infect the berry after the flowering when the petals will fall down, small injuries still exist and botrytis will go inside. So very often when you arrive in autumn, you will see very nice ripened berries without botrytis from the exterior. But if you see them inside, you will have a nice web, a reddish brownish web inside under the skin, which is botrytis inside. Fantastic. Because I would have thought that if botrytis came during flowering, which is I presume the same for us around June time, flowering, going into fruit sets, yeah. I would have thought that that could completely annihilate the grape. So actually what you're saying, okay, so it really is hit or miss. Yes. But if during flowering the botrytis gets in, the conditions are great enough, not the humidity level is down, it kind of just penetrates the grape in a way that when it, well, it's a flower, it turns into fruit set. So the berry is containing it and it just kind of 
works its magic from inside. That is fantastic. That's so intriguing. And then, of course, during autumn time, when you get wet conditions, then from the exterior, you will got maybe a berry burst. So there will get you an open window again for the botryatis to, to be on, on, on top of it. And then you will see those nice stripes on the berry with that grayish color, colored botryatis, and then the dried berries as well. So those are the botryatis from the exterior. But if you don't see those from the exterior, inside you will still have botryatis on our grapes. So you can't avoid botryatis. It it will be just differences with more and smaller amount. Okay. Well, either way, I was going to say that, you know, a positive thing of having late harvest is on those years that there are slightly less, You've got your late harvest. Okay, right. So the late harvest I have is 2018. Yes. So are you using just furmint or are you now, because there are three grape varieties used in the wines of Tokai. And we talked about in the episode before, we talked about furmint and hash levelu, but we didn't talk about the third grape variety. These are the three main grape varieties, to be very precise. The third one, it's uh, the yellow muscat. Yellow muscat, it's called in our wine region, but it's the same grape variety of the muscat in southern France, called the Muscat Blanc Petit Grain. I, oh, that was a beautiful accent. <laughs> it's homonym, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I thought that you called it Sarga Moscatelli. Yes, Sarga. Sarga, it's yellow. Sh- oh, gosh, my pronunciation. Sarga. Sarga? Sarga, yes. Sarga Moscatelli. Yeah. Muscotai, okay. yes. Oh, oh, my God. Oh, I am embarrassed. Actually, so we use uh, the three main grape varieties to to make this wine. Furmint is responsible for the spine, the structure, the acidity of the wine. It will made up more than 50% of the final blend. Muscat, which uh, gives the aromatic side of the, of the wine, uh, will have about more than 10% in the final blend. And the remaining 30% is the harsh level. The harsh level with his elegance, bind nicely together the other two grape varieties. From vinification point of view, furmint and harsh level is vinified in barrel. Muscat will stay in tank to preserve the aromatic complexity of it. After five, six months of, of barrel aging, we blend these three grape varieties to get the final late harvest in uh, in, in bottle. So it has really, it, it is uh, it is a wine which has a very pleasant nose. And then in mouth, you it will show you already the complexity and the balance, the acidity of Tokoi, where the three grape varieties really make a wine with a lot of structure and complexity. It's just luscious. Now, I know when I say luscious, when we go up to the others, it's going to be completely yeah. <laughs> different. The density, the richness of the others is going to be completely different. But again, I mean, it's just, it's, it's luscious and silky and I get this for me. It's just really, it's lovely honey. I almost even get on the nose, like some white chocolate, that kind of smell. We're not talking about chocolate where it's dark and bitter. This, that kind of really sweet, creamy edge. It's quince. It's like white peach. Oh, 
It's it's just yummy. I mean, that's my description, everyone. If you want a yummy, sweet wine, yes. <laughs> this, it's, this is it. It is the reason to make this wine. It's really a wine what we would like to make it enjoyable, easy to understand. Just, just have a, a, a glass of wine. Don't think about it and just... Just enjoy it and, 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 and then go for it. Yummy and satisfying. Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, I want to keep a little bit in my glass because I will compare. Okay. But we're going to get on to now what you guys are most famous for. And I am going to have to do my pronunciation again when I'm educating people on the sweet wines. Now we're talking about five petonios and six petonios. Petonios. Oh, that's all right. Putonos. Yes. Wait, wait. Putonos. Putonos. No? Yes, because it's double double T, so you you make it a more uh, pronounced. Putonos. Okay, I'm actually I'm doing all right. So okay, when we talk about the sweet wines that have, and it will say on the label five putonos. Oh my god, five putonos or six. We're basically talking about the sweetness level. And obviously these are the highest. Have we, are we even making four anymore? There used to be three, four, five, and six. Have we, we've got rid of three and four, or is four still around? We get higher the initial richness because before also I started the 60 gram of residual sugar. Yes, which would have been three. Yes. Now everything will start at 120. Okay, fine. But we didn't abolish the nomenclature. So you will still have three and four Putonios also wines from some companies started at 120 levels of, of residual sugar. It's creating a bit of misunderstanding of, of the whole thing. Yeah, we know that, and maybe in the future we are going to work on it a bit to make it more understandable and maybe eliminating the three and the four from the nomenclature and make it more easy for everybody to get it. But this is how we have it now. So we hired the, the richness, but okay. we didn't abolish the three and four butonios. So it still exists. But so for just for everyone to understand, we are actually talking about the residual sugar, the amount of grams per litre. So when originally the 60 grams of residual sugar per litre, that was a three put tonyush. And then if you got to 90 grams of residual sugar per litre, it was four. But you're, now the rules are all asu sweet wines need to be at least 120 grams Correct. of residual sugar per liter okay yes. but anyway it's good to know because if you do see wines that are 10 20 years old and it's a four putonios then you know that it's got at least 90 yeah it could be a lighter style yes precisely okay so now this is where we get confusing for some people because we are talking about these azul Berries, they've turned into berries again. They've shriveled up. We've lost 80% of the water inside, but we're not making a wine from 100% the azul berries. You're adding those azul berries into a base wine, aren't you? Can you explain how that winemaking process works? You correctly mentioned that we are adding a base wine. Why is the reason for that? The reason is the dryness of the berries. So 
the berries are so dry, you hardly get any mast when you push the berries, when you squeeze the berries, actually. So um, actually, you need something to take out all the richness from the berries. So how to do it? It's very simple, by maceration, of course. So you should macerate the berries in, in a steel wine or fermenting mast or, or a steel mast. And of course, during this maceration process, you will be able to extract everything which is stored inside the berries. For us, we are using a fermenting mast and we macerate, we ferment together the mast and the berry for one and a half, two days to get all the flavors, acidity and, and, and sugar out of the berry. And after two days, when the berries are actually sucked into the fermenting mast, you are able to press them actually. And by pressing it, you will get everything out of the berries. So this is why we use, we call a base mast. It's not a basic mast. Is the mast used as a base to make uh, our wine? Yeah. Well, and we should then touch on the fact that you can make a sweet wine 100% from Asul berries. And this is known as Asul Essentia, right? Well, yeah. Why are you, people <laughs> listening, they can't see you shaking your head and moving it around. Why are you all uncomfortable so, now? What we make 100% from the berries, it is called Essentia. Not also essentia, just ah, you're not essentia. using the essentia. Yes, okay, essentia. So it is essentia. It is essentia, and what what is that wine? So during the storage, I mentioned one and a half, two months in the harvest time, we are storing these berries in stainless steel containers. So due to the gravity, they start to release a must a very thick mast from, from, from them. And we collect this mast. We have a, a tap on the bottom of each container so we can release the mast through that tap. So we collect this very, very, very rich mast, which further is maturated in glass jars in our uh, cellars. And after maturation, this rich, uh, let's call free run juice of the berry, is becoming the essentia. As far as I remember, the sugar level needs to be at least 450 grams residual Correct. sugar per liter, which is insane. And <laughs> you can find some essentias that are like up to 850 grams yes, of residual sugar correct. per liter. This is the sweetest. This is literal nectar. Like this is not. And in fact, how much alcohol is in these? Because you just take it out sugar, like there's, it can't, how much alcohol is in it? <laughs> when you take the essentia, you have no alcohol at all because that's a must. During the maturation for years in your cellar, it could ferment slightly, but never reach a higher level than 2%, maximum 4% of alcohol. Because being so rich, the the yeasts, they could not ferment it. So the, the sweetness of the essentia, it's a killing factor for the yeasts. So they could not or hardly ferment it. Now, if I remember correctly, I'm sure that I had a bottle of your essentia, which was in my wine fridge as a sommelier. I was there for two years 
you had a spoon. You offer spoons, right? Yes. So the idea is, this is so thick and liquidy. You don't serve it in a glass. You pour it onto a spoon and just literally have a spoonful, right? Yes. We sell our Essencia pack in small presentation boxes. And part of the presentation box is this uh, very nice crystal spoon, which we offer it together with the Essencia bottle. And we suggest for our clients to have it by the spoon, to enjoy it by the spoon. I worked for two years as the head sommelier of Beast. The, this bottle of your Rotokai Essencia was in the fridge. Nobody ever ordered it, of course, <laughs> because it is... That's not it, the, the best thing, actually. When the prices of lots of other sweet wines, and don't worry, they were ordering your Azul dessert wines, but I just, not during my time. So I wonder, everybody in London, if you go into Beast, go and look in the wine fridges, see if it's still there. I'm sure it will have gone now. This is years ago, but um, for two years, unfortunately, I never got to, because if I'd opened it, I'm sure that the customers would have been very kind and let me have a sip, right? That would have been very special. But hey, I'm just going to have to settle for the five and the six potonios. Now, before we compare the two, why are we using this term putonios? Why are we saying that? Putonios, it's a, it's a Hungarian word for the harvesting hod carried on the shoulders which was used in the olden days and even, even these days in some vine regions to carry out the crop from the vineyard to the carriages, which took it uh, down to the winery. So, and this uh, harvesting hod made of wood those times was quite heavy anyway, was used to measure the quantity of the osuberi added to a fixed amount of uh, fermenting mast. And the amount of fermenting mast was measured with another traditional tool called Gönzi barrel. Gönzi is a type of 136 liter. Actually, the recipe in the past was if you added five hods puttonios of osu berries in 136 liter of fermenting mast steel wine, you leave it to macerate for two, three days. You pressed, fermented, and then you maturated into your cellars for several years. At the end, you got a five putonios. And if you added into the same amount of wine, 136 liter, six hods, six putonios of osuberi, you will have, of course, a richer wine and the six putonios also. Very simple. In the olden days, the people, they were thinking in this very simple way. So, yeah, we are using only five putonios, six putonios, which are indicating the richness levels of, uh, of the sweet wine, what we produce. Perfect. So we've got five and six. The five is known as the blue label. The six is known as gold label. For anyone, I realize, so to give you an idea of so different this prices. Is the, blue, the reason of the blue label, it has a blue frame, actually. Are these going to change labels? Are, you know, you're designing all the stills, as we were talking about in the last episode. They have no. now got an artist. No, okay, the dessert wines are staying the same. Fine. 
So with the pricing for everyone, just so you know, as we're talking along the late harvest, again, you can get that in Majestic. If you get a mix six, $11.99, super, super amazing value. The five Putonios, the blue label, you can get it in Majestic also for £22.99. And again, in Majestic, okay, you could do, you can do this tasting for everyone Christmas is coming up. Okay. The third one, the gold label, the six Putonios is £41.99. So if you want to do this tasting like we've just done, you can, and all from the same place, if you're in the UK, that is. Okay. So, okay. I'm very excited to try the two. Whilst I'm sticking my nose in, the five and six, apart from the amount of rich azul berries that have gone in to the, the base wine, is there any difference in winemaking techniques? The big difference um, in between the five and the six are in the five Putonios, we buy berries from small producers all around the wine region. This is one of the key factors for the five Putonios. And the five Putonios is always a blend of the two main grape varieties of the wine region, Furmint and Hash Level. From vinification point of view, we do slightly the same um, amount of our maceration, one and a half, two days. But what we do differently for the six Putonios is that the six Putonios is based on the Royal Tokoyi vineyards, and it is always a furmint. So it's a monovarietal because we thought that furmint as a grape variety, being the greater grape variety of the wine region, it deserves to be expressed in the six Putonios. And really, it is giving a, a wine with a lot of structure, a very focused wine, a lot of balance, and a totally different acidity to the five Putonios. Even analytically, you will have very close acidity levels. Then in mouth, you will always have a, an explosion of acidity and freshness from the six Putonios. They are so, so different. And I'm really genuinely happy to have the six Putonios because very often when I'm looking for a very good dessert wine and I'm having to treat other people to drink, I buy your five Putonios. I highly recommend it. It's a great example of well-made Azul sweet wine. But I have only ever had your six Putonios once, years and years ago. Because of course... It is a step up in the price point. So it is so gorgeous to now compare the difference. And so interesting that you have this, the blue label, the five, has harsh levelu in it, whereas you're saying the six has just the furmint, which is less aromatic because apart from the fact that texture-wise, the six is far more vibrant, it's far more lively, but there's slightly more smokiness going on in there. There's this really beautiful, like lemon peel. There's dried notes. There's an earthiness. There's a real restraint. Whereas the five, it's actually much more like the most gorgeous pineapple juice you could ever drink in your life. If you could ever imagine drinking pineapple juice in heaven with a bit of a honeycomb character and this kind of ginger marmalade, which Oh my God, both of them, it doesn't even matter. You're going to be happy, but it's so shocking how different the two are going from five to six. Yeah, but both of them are from from the same thing, uh, vintage, actually, 2017. So even though 
it shows a lot of differences. Oh my gosh, honestly, the 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 candied nature and smoky, elegant vibes of the six is divine. But I have to say, oh my god, but mm, 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 mm. anyone that just likes explosions of fruit, you're also going to be so fine with number five. Oh gosh, yes, that's true. I am so happy right now. Like. I don't drink enough sweet wine because, I mean, obviously there's sugar in there. You know, I try to, oh, you know, watch. <laughs> I'm watching my, I'm watching my waist and all that. But right now, I have three bottles. I, I say that as I hold up four <laughs> fingers. I have three bottles that I'm just, I'm gonna have to do something with, aren't I, Zoltan? I, I don't know. What do you think I should do with them? Do you think I should drink them all? Uh, well, uh, you should drink them <laughs> with uh, with different type of foods, and you enjoy it at the maximum, actually. Well, okay. Talking about foods, I mean, I was just going to sit in the corner and be like, nobody talk to me. I'm really happy and work my way through the bottle. But okay, fine. Let's be practical here. What foods would you recommend with the late harvest, the five potonios, and the six? So. Uh... In the wine region in general, we are fighting against to be categorized as a dessert wine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I believe that sweet wines have a wider spectrum, say, a spectrum. capacity, spectrum to, yeah. to, yes. to, to, to match with different foods. And I will try to give some to maybe I will can get some more ideas for, for the okay. customers. For example, the late harvest. Very often we offer it as an aperitif as well, in the beginning, just well chilled, it goes very well. But because of uh, his good acidity, uh, it goes well, for example, with the smoked and dried hams, very well. Especially when you have a nice bit of, let's say, uh, melon with it, so it's really that type of wine which will uh, which will go very well with uh, with with the ham. Goes very well with the spicy, sour and sweet kitchen of of Sichuan, Canton. So Chinese type of foods, but pears as well good because of the spiciness. The different Indian curries as well. So it is really a very versatile wine. Yeah. So yeah, okay. and and it doesn't have too high acidity, too high sugar content. So it really is just um, highlighting the food and it's giving a lot of um, freshness to the mouth. Five Futonios, I'm trying always to match it with the main. Okay. Just have a think about uh, a roasted pork knuckle on his skin where the, on the top of the ski you have a bit of sweetness from the wine or from honey, and you have a, an anise, a spicy sauce with it, and you cut it, and, and then you have a bit of fat and meat and the acidity of the wine with the sweeter taste and the fat, slightly fattiness of the meat will always go very, very well. And you're forgetting with the pork, you very often, certainly here, we do apple compote. We do a sweet yes. apple sauce to go with the pork. Okay, perfect. I had a gorgeous experience this year. Actually, I was in California. And in a Japanese uh, restaurant, 
we tried with our five putonios. It was a nice cube of um, pork belly, pork belly, roasted skin. It was like cracklings. And then on top of it, you had a, a sweeter caramel sauce. So it was unbelievable how the whole dish went with the sweet wine. So it was, it was a unique experience for me to discover that side of the five putonios as well. Of course, then you can have it uh, as a dessert. Uh, with, with, yeah, with creme sweet. brulee uh, is, a, is a great Tartan one. Tartan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, ice creams or, or fruit-based desserts or all these things, which is true for the six putonios as well. Very often with the six putonios, which is, we suggest to have some blue cheeses, harder style blue cheeses like Stilton, and blue cheese is made in northern part of Italy, for example. So really... Sweet and salty. Nice. Yeah, it, it pairs perfectly. And uh, well, as a dessert, at the end, you can have a spoonful of essentia just on his oh, own. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, well, there you go. Chris, everyone, Christmas is coming up. Maybe it's time to yes. get that one yeah. bottle. And yeah, and you definitely <laughs> will want to share it because no one can drink a whole bottle to themselves. Now, actually, question. We're talking about sweet wines. How long, when somebody opens up the bottle, do you think these wines can last? How quickly do they have to drink them? So for the five and the six putonios, we very often doing these tests. And I... Uh, could recommend that um, seven days, 10 days without any problems, you can keep it open the bottle in your fridge and you will have more or less the same taste. Perfect, because that means we can open it up on a Friday, have a little bit on the Saturday, and even when we get to Friday again the next week and we're feeling really crappy and we need to start the weekend with something fab, boom, we do it again. Okay. That's good to know. <laughs> and also you've already mentioned the late harvest. Great even as an aperitif and like chill it down really well if you if that's how you wanted it in that moment. Do you have ideal temperatures? Like I took these wines out of the fridge. Well, actually, by the time we've tasted them, these have been out of the fridge for about an hour. And I actually really like them like this. They're still really fresh but they probably right now are on, I don't know, 12 degrees, 13 degrees. The also wise, the five and the six putonios, you could have them a bit cooler as well. But as they uh, get warmer, they open and they give you more and more from their uh, richness. So if you would like to have them at the perfect temperature, I will suggest something in between 11 and 13 degrees. So it's really the temperature when, when they open and, and, and you will uh, uh, enjoy it. That's why I'm so happy right now. Okay, now final <laughs> question on enjoying okay. these wines to the maximum. What is, in your opinion, the best wine glass that they could be served in? Should we be putting them in just a really nice white wine glass with a largest bowl or do you want something quite small to try and confine the flavors okay so for the dry wines uh, the wine region made a so-called furmin glass with the oh, really? wine company okay, which yeah. has a, a big bowl 
so this is for furmin, furmin not being very aromatic on the on the nose. So mm -hmm. we created a big bowl which has a bit of uh, a reduction on the top. Yeah, it tapers in. I can see it tapers in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this kind of of glasses for the sweet wines, I like to use this uh, quite classic shape. It's not a big one, a big bowl, but it's concentrated as well. The the flavors towards the top of the glass uh, could go very well from tulip shaped glasses as well. It gives a very nice uh, enjoyment when you when you really have the the sweet wine. So amazing! I well, I mean, I'd love to stay and chat, but I've got three bottles of dessert wine now. Oh, sorry, dessert wine. I'm not going to say dessert wine. I've ruined the whole thing. I've got three bottles of wine that is sweet that I am now going to drink with savory dishes. <laughs> As an experiment. Oh, honestly. Zoltan, thank you so much because this is a region that I think is fascinating, doesn't get as much attention as it deserves. There's all the spectrum. And of course, as we both know, Christmas is around the corner, which is the perfect Please, excuse indeed. to really get into these sweet wines because we need to be indulgent, right? Indeed, yes. So thank you for the invitation. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. And we'll, we'll catch each other in real really life soon. I enjoyed it. Thank you. And we'll speak soon. Hope and I'll so. let you know all my perfect food pairings. <laughs> Thank you very much. Speak soon. See Take you care. soon. Bye. 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 So as I sign off for this year, I want to take a moment to genuinely express my heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tunes in week after week, sending emails and thoughts. You guys are the star on top of my tree and I'm truly thankful for your constant support. This year has literally been a dream, not only for the fact that I've been able to build this team behind the podcast, but that has been made possible by the incredible support of my sponsor, Wickham's Wine Merchants. So do go and show them some love and get yourself some incredible wines for Christmas from them. You will not be disappointed. And if you get in touch with me, I will be really happy to genuinely give you some of my personal recommendations and favourites from their site. Do not forget, you can use the code EATSLEEP10 for 10% off of your first order. And so the last wine quote of 2023 is from Roy L. Smith, an American minister and writer. And he so beautifully sums up this episode with, he who has not Christmas in his heart will never find it under a tree. Feast on the joy, savour the love, and let the warmth of the season be as comforting as a well-aged wine shared with dear friends and family. So as I bid farewell to this year, I encourage you to reflect on your triumphs and the hurdles you have overcome. May you find renewed energy and excitement for the adventures that await in the coming year. Wishing you all a joyful holiday season and a sparkling new year. I will be back in four weeks time. So until then, my wine friends, cheers to you. <laughs>